Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined in studio by the lovely Molly Williams. Hello. Hello, Sarah. So nice to see you. Good to see you, too. You're wearing a very pretty sweater. Oh, yep. And it's spring. I almost don't need it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Such an optimist you are. Well, don't you think? It's a beautiful day. I think it's probably about 45 degrees. I think I'm starting to smell Daphne. Oh, look mm-hmm. at you. And I you don't do. mean my 17-year-old daughter. You mean the Maybe winter, I do. Blo- Maybe winter I mean both. blooming bushes here in Oregon, yeah. <laughs> which she was named after. So, yes, yes. Which puts me full of hope. Yes, exactly. Well, and I'm optimistic about what happens on February 21st. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> the new replacement is going to happen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So tell people about what's going to happen, What what you've been going through for, it's been years now. Yeah, it's been years. Just osteoarthritis, you know, I'm bone on bone on the left knee. And uh, I think the last race I did was the Alaska Half Marathon. Wow, that, that was a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, I know. What was that, three years ago? Oh, yeah. Oh, so, no, 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 because that would put us in 2020. So, I mean, it was 2019. It might even be 2018. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, so four or five years. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you know, and I've, I've, I ran since then, but everything just got worse and worse. And then I couldn't run and my leg was uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. then I couldn't hike and then I couldn't walk. And I've been on the wait list for a knee replacement for over a year. But my numbers come up. So good Lord willing and the crick don't rise. It'll be the, the 21st. <laughs> I mean, I can't get COVID between now and then and I can't get scratched. She's, she said, oh, if you have any pets, be, be really careful and don't get any scratches. And I'm like, well, I'm a veterinarian. She's like, oh. Well, be careful. I mean, you know. Have our body suit. Right. You know, things happen. And if it has to get rescheduled, it will. But why a scratch? Uh, they don't want you to have any type of infection because they're worried about the implant getting an infection or you having mm-hmm. a reaction. So you're not supposed to garden or do anything like that because any kind of scratches, they'll cancel it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, rescheduled. Interesting you mentioned that. Jack, my husband, his younger brother, so my brother-in-law, got a liver transplant last Mm. week, as you know. Yeah. And one of the restrictions is he can't garden for quite a while, can't Mm -hmm. be near dirt. Okay. Because of the risk of infection. Sure. Yeah. 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 And I have to take a bath with uh, antiseptic soap. Before, oh, right. I, before. I remember when my mother had a hip replacement yep. and I had to take this big swabby type thing and really just rub, 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 rub over the area repeatedly, mm-hmm. repeatedly, kind of like the same way before they take blood out of your arm, mm-hmm. the way they'll wash the, put that iodine all over it. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. So what's the ratio excitement to nervousness? Oh, 80% excitement, 20% nervousness. I'm ready to go. You know, I I still work out, but I'm just in constant pain Mm. Uh, and I just get weaker and weaker. Like I I was doing a leg workout this morning and I can't really do split squats because it's just so uncomfortable for me to bend my knee Mm. and I'm so weak on my left side. So it's just, it needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Even last night, I just, you know, was kind of lying awake in pain. It just hurts all Mm. the time. I mean, I take anti-inflammatories and that helps. And I forgot to take some last night. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's been too long since I ate. And I'm like, oh, I'm getting upset stomach. You know, I mean, like there are ways around it. You know, <laughs> there are people that are way worse, I'm, I'm sure. But it's so nice to have the option not to have to go on the rest of my life this way. You know, like mm-hmm. Laura Ingalls Wilder, she needed to do replacement. She probably didn't get on. Maybe they didn't do it back then. <laughs> no, right? Are, are we lucky? I look at it that way. It all goes back to Laura Ingalls Wilder. <laughs> it does. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. That's what I told myself during when I had my bulging discs. I'm like, yeah. well, 
eventually Laura Ingalls Wilder <laughs> would have just gotten over it. <laughs> they, they got through the diphtheria and you know alonzo had his his problems he had just soldier on almonzo right? almonzo almonzo yes right. i just thought that was such an unusual name yeah <laughs> and how's how's your back everything's good i mean you're running again now right i am back? i am walk running yeah and so i did run 2.5 miles non-stop the what other day you, well how'd it feel uh, it ended up, that was probably a little too much. It okay. felt good. I mean, uh-huh. when it's happening, it feels great. I just, typically my, it doesn't make my back hurt. It makes the inside of my thighs just kind of wonky, not feel great. Okay. So that's kind of where the pain goes to. Uh-huh. Yes. But, that's interesting. But your back is feeling uh, right? Yes. Last night while I was trying to go to sleep, it was hurting just the teeniest of bits. And I just remind myself that not everything I feel is related to a bulging disc. Right. Totally. I mean, <laughs> and you're working muscles and you're probably just having some muscle soreness too. Exactly. So, yeah. so Brittany, my trainer reminds me of that sometimes. She's like, Sarah, yeah. not everything's about your back. <laughs> That's good advice. Yes, yeah. Yes. Good. Well, I'm glad things are better. I love your uh, sweatshirt too. Oh, thank you. My very running much. shoes sale. are actually, actually wings. wings. Yes. Oh, very it's on nice. sale right now. In, Is it? At, at the Mother Runner store. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's, got, it's got that nice blue. I love that Tiffany blue. Mm-hmm. Goes with my little turquoise it, oh, earrings. Oh, it does. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. See, spring has sprung. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we have an interesting guest today, Claire Bartholik, also known as the Planted Runner, a mom in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. Claire took up running in her mid-30s and completed her first marathon at age 38. She's gone on to be an incredibly speedy runner, all fueled on an entirely plant-based diet. Along the way, Claire became a certified running coach and a certified sports nutrition specialist, as well as a host of a popular podcast called The Planted Runner. Last but not least, Claire's first book was just published this month, and it's called The Planted Runner, Running Your Best with Plant-Based Nutrition. Claire and I are also psychic because she reached out to me to talk about being on kind of a podcast swap right as I was about to uh, get in touch with her. So it was meant to be. So thanks for joining us, Claire. Happy to be here, Sarah. That's crazy that you guys thought of each other at the same time. Yeah. yeah Sometimes yeah. things work that way. <laughs> so Serendipitous. Claire, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Or Yeah. Sarah Bowen Shadipidus. <laughs> so Claire, yes. you started running in your 30s. What made you decide to start running? Well, I had some fits and starts in my teenage years and in my 20s. But what got me really hooked on it in my 30s, I just started to uh, look good for my high school reunion. It was coming up and I knew that running was a quick way or relatively quick way to get in shape. So I started running and I will tell you, I hated every step of it. I thought it was torturous, (laughs) but then the reunion came and went and I had gotten fairly fit at that point. And I was just like, well, I don't want to stop now. And then I ended up signing up for a local half marathon. I had run it in my 20s. So that was one of my fits and starts in my 20s was mm-hmm. I ran a half marathon or trained for one to kind of get over a breakup and then ended up marrying the guy. But that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> and quit and quit running shortly after that and, you know, picked it up over a decade later. So I wanted to run that half marathon again in my town and As you know, Asheville is in the mountains. It's hilly. It's hard. Mm -hmm. You know, all the races are hard here for the most part. And (laughs) but I did a little bit better, you know, like, I don't know, maybe I think it was like six minutes better or five or six minutes better, something like that. 
And I was like, well, that was pretty cool. What's next? And a friend of mine had just run the Boston Marathon. And I was just like, oh, if she could do that, I can do that. I'll just go run the Boston Marathon. (laughs) And then I had to learn you actually have to qualify for that. So (laughs) that's kind of how it all started. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So you mentioning times for a race time. You and I have almost identical times for our debut marathons. You ran 402. I ran 401. Yet you've gone on to run a 258 marathon. Yes. So, so tell us wow. how you shifted into another gear or two or three to run that sub three marathon. Yeah, it was over nine marathons, Mm. and I did it basically two marathons a year, more or less. So it took me four and a half years. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, really what did it is I became a student of the marathon. You know, (laughs) I'm a classic type A obsessive runner. Mm -hmm. And so I just got so into it, reading, learning, studying blogs. It was like I was always down the rabbit hole of how (laughs) to get better and better. So that is probably the first step in my journey. And then the second step that I think made a huge difference is I started running with people in my town. So Asheville has a huge running community. So I did Track Tuesday. I did, you know, the tempo run that ended up at the brewery on Thursdays and doing (laughs) long runs, you know, like I did all the things. And so finding Mm -hmm. a group was super inspiring because there were women and men too, but the women are what inspired me the most. They were older than me. They were professionals. They had kids and they were just rocking it. And so I had a lot of inspiration and a lot of people to chase. So that was good. (laughs) Oh, that's great. What do you believe is your secret to staying injury free? Because you've had a lot of miles on those feet. Yeah, I never got injured. And, you know, so some of it's luck of I would have to think about I have always been since I got into running, I've always been super diligent about strength training. Mm. So I would do I just did the classes at the gym. I didn't even like try to Mm. put together my own, you know, routines. I do that Mm. now. But I just took that we had these muscle pump classes with a really inspiring teacher who was super strong. And so 45 minutes or an hour twice a week. Mm -hmm. And then during off season, I would do it more. So Mm -hmm. I would do it three days a week or four days a week. I kind of swapped the running for strength training on my off season when I wasn't in a marathon specific cycle. So I really believe that that is the most important thing to staying injury free. I do happen to have, you know, maybe some mechanics. The way I run is probably helpful. I don't have a lot of imbalances, things like that. So, mm-hmm. which is strange to think this is genetic because my family is not athletic at all. So <laughs> it's weird to see where that comes from. I mean, my dad actually was a runner when I was a kid, but not like competitively. What he would do is every other day he would run three miles around the neighborhood and he mm. would he would write it on his calendar in the kitchen that he ran three more <laughs> miles and never ran fast, never competed, never raced. That's all, you know, that was his thing, mm. just, you know, dutifully running his miles. So I suppose I get it from him. But anyway, yeah, I was really lucky not to have any running specific injuries. There was definitely a lot of times where I was just daydreaming and fell straight on my face, you know, those kind of injuries. But I'm not, I'm sure that's not the kind that you mean. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's great. So now that you do your own strength training, do you do it on the days that you run? And what kind of strength training do you do? Is it all weights or do you do Pilates? Yeah, so I have a strength coach now. I don't compete for in running anymore. And we can get into that part if you want to. 
Um, but so I have uh, a coach that assigns me workouts. So I strength train four days a week, wow. but I warm up with a run. So I'm I'm still running like five days a week. And then one day is just a run without the strength training. So I'll do that after we get done recording. But <laughs> yeah, so I don't run as much anymore, but it's still a huge part of my life, of course. So what made you make that shift from running to strength training? Well, so the three-hour marathon or the sub-three-hour marathon was mm -hmm. something that I was obsessed with. It was something that I had to have. It was my Moby Dick. It was my climb Mount <laughs> Everest. It was my Olympics, you know, and... I trained obviously really, really hard for a really, really long time just to get this, you know, magic number, right? And that was the thing. I wanted it. I got it. And to keep training at that level just to shave off a minute or two minutes or, you know, get a little bit faster was no longer interesting to me. Like, it was really interesting to see if I could do that one specific thing. And I did it and it was awesome. And I don't regret a second of it. But the marathon itself is just not as interesting to me anymore. Mm. So I've, you know, switched to seeing what I can do with strength. And, mm -hmm. and to be perfectly honest, I love training. I loved the whole scene. Race day itself was uh, never really fun, you know, for me. Mm. I was very stressful for me. So mm -hmm. while I love it, I love the sense of accomplishment. I love helping others reach their goals if, if that's what they want to do. I, I love sharing all the stuff that I've learned. For me, racing just isn't as exciting anymore because, you know, I got my Moby Dick. <laughs> you know? Okay, but you're but you're a coach. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So my athletes do all the hard work for me, which is great. And I get all the glory. <laughs> it's fantastic. No, I mean I think what happened is I burned out a little bit. I really kind of mm -hmm. got a little bit too obsessed with it. Um I took a step back. And ended up having some changes in my life, fell in love, all of these things happened that were really, really great, you know, started my own business, became, you know, more into coaching and all of that stuff. And I really, really get so much joy and satisfaction from helping other people reach their running goals, like way more than I did for my own. And so that's yeah. what I pour my heart into now. Sounds very healthy. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Much yeah. better. Yes. It, I was probably a little unbalanced before, for sure. But you know, you have a season for different things, right? Exactly. You have a season exactly. for being competitive. You have a season for doing something different. And yeah, that's... Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, never say never. If my kids get into it and they want to run races with me, I will totally do something like that. I still occasionally pace races. I love pacing. Mm. Like that oh, to idea. me is so much more fun than like being like super gripped and competitive for myself. That that's what I like, you know, as far as my own running goes these days. But yeah, it's it's definitely been a journey and running is different for me at different times in my life. And I think that's great. Mm -hmm. Well, on the heels of that, I'm intrigued that you also coach mindset with your athletes. So, mm -hmm. so talk to us about how you work with folks in this realm. Yeah. So through my research, through my own journey and through talking to and interviewing elite athletes and people who research elite athletes, like I've learned a lot of techniques that can help you when things get hard. So a lot of them are really classic that, you know, everybody knows like mantras and body scan. And then other techniques are things that you might not think about or have heard before. There's something called the black 
checkbox method. There's counting techniques. There's imagination games. There's lots of ways to change your self-talk in your head. So for the athletes that I coach, what I do for them is uh, they have Mental Strength Mondays. So every Monday, usually for most people, there's a mental strength workout on their calendar. And it is a video that I've created, you know, just five minutes. And it'll have a worksheet sometimes attached to it. And it's something that they can use that week in their training that they can practice to help them change their self-talk for the most part. Some of them are stuff that you can do outside of the run, like goal setting and um, things like that. But most of what I teach is how to change what you say to yourself when you're running hard. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So give us one just quick, how about describe the counting one? Okay, so there's lots of fun ways to use counting when you're (laughs) running hard, lots of different ways. So one technique that I would do all the time, let's say we're running hard around the track, right? And you've got, I don't know, 400 meter repeats. So once around the track, and it's starting to get tough. And you start thinking, oh, my God, this is hard, or oh, I'm so slow, or oh, I'm breathing really hard. Once you start recognizing those negative voices, a great trick is to just start counting. So I only go up to 20 because once you go beyond 20, the cadence starts to change. You know, 21 is too many syllables. The words become longer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> There's too many syllables once you get higher than 20. And you just repeat over and over. Just count to 20 over and over and over again. Some people only go up to 10. The reason this works is because counting is almost primal. It's something you learned as a little, little kid. It's something that you don't need to have any mental energy to do. And it's something that completely can change your focus away from how hard it is. And you can just concentrate on doing that. And some people will attach the counting, you know, the numbers to their steps or to their breaths. There's ways to get really complicated with it. (laughs) But that is just a really simple trick. Just count over and over and over again in your head and you would be surprised at how well it works. Hmm. Nice. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, you have your first book out, huh? Yes. Yes. I am super excited about that. It's It's been a long time coming. I got yeah. uh, contracted to write it December 2020, and now wow. it's 2023, so it's finally here. But yeah, it's really a compilation of all of the stuff that I talk about, I write about. Uh, you know, I've had a running blog for years now, and it's, um, you know, all the advice that I've learned through my own running and mm-hmm. coaching athletes. And basically, I put everything that I teach on my podcast and all of this into a book. So it's, it is a running book for Mm -hmm. people who are plant-based or want to be more plant-based. You don't have to be a hundred percent. It is not a plant-based book. You know, if you're not a runner, don't don't get it. If you're not a runner, it's it's mostly about running, Uh but then how to do it if you want to have more plants in your life. So I'm, there must be recipes, right? It it has a few recipes. It's not a cookbook. So the, So the recipes that I have in it are runner recipes for things Mm -hmm. like homemade gels and homemade, you know, I do a lot of copycat recipes. So copycat goose and copycat noon. So a hydration (laughs) thing. Mm. So it's all like runner recipes. It's not like, you know, lasagna recipes or anything (laughs) like that, Mm -hmm. because I'm I'm not a chef. I definitely dabble in the kitchen for sure. And I like to cook, but I'm I'm not a 
recipe, you know, developer, that's a completely different skill. Mm -hmm. But I do recommend cookbooks that I absolutely love and that have helped me a lot too. What's the name of your book? It's called The Planted Runner, Running Your Best on Plant-Based Nutrition. Perfect. It's fresh out. It just came out February 1st, right? And do you have exercises in there too? There are some descriptions of strength training in there too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Sounds great. Nice. Nice. We're going to pause for some goodness and discounts from our sponsors. Stay with us for a tasty conversation about plant-based nutrition and more. All right, Claire, we often turn to our Facebook audience for questions. So here's what gals there want to know. What are some good sources of plant-based protein, especially for folks who feel they'll scream if they eat one more chickpea or black bean? (laughs) (laughs) That is the typical question that so many people ask, where do you get your protein? So Mm -hmm. the quick answer is plants do contain all the protein that you need. As long as you're taking in a variety of protein, you can get everything you need from plants and you can get all of the essential amino acids from plants as long as you're getting a variety of it. So as she mentioned, beans are a great source. So legumes and beans, lentils are a great source of protein. And then of course you have everything in the soy family. So edamame, tofu, tempeh, soy curls are amazing. They're these, um, Mm-hmm. You're speaking my those? love language. I just, I, I have to share a story. There. Yes, please I, do. I, well, first of all, it's hard to find recipes for soy curls. So anyway, so sometimes I'll just take a chicken recipe and substitute soy curls. Perfect. So I made a soy curl and uh, stir fry that had walnuts in it. And it turned out that my younger daughter had her newish boyfriend over and he's never joined us for dinner. And so I'm like, Hey, Matthew, you want to stay for dinner? We're, you know, and he's like, yeah, okay. So as I was serving it up, I realized that the very first dish I ever served her first boyfriend who ate dinner at our house had soy curls. I'm like, oh my gosh. How funny. How funny. And what did he think? I asked him, I said, have you ever had soy curls? I said, they're these long kind of chewy things that are in the stir fry. He was like, I don't think so. He's like, they're good. Like he he didn't sound like a convert. I love them. I just love them. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love them. They're one ingredient. They're just soy and Mm -hmm. they're just processed. So they look like chicken strips or beef strips. So we make fajitas or stir fries with them all the time. Mm -hmm. Super, Mm -hmm. super easy. They taste like nothing. So you can make them taste like anything you want. So they're great. They're absolutely great. I sometimes will, you know, because you have to, as you know, kind of reconstitute them that they're Mm -hmm. dried and you have to get them Mm -hmm. plumped up a little bit. And so instead of soaking them in boiling water or hot water, I will put them in orange juice and then put in some Mm -hmm. Mexican seasonings and let them marinate for a while and then kind of drain them out and then saute them in a pan for taco filling. Wow. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Is that a complete protein or do you still need to... Okay. Wow. Okay. Soy I is a complete. Maybe yeah. I'd like the soy curls. It's a, It's the texture. Does it still have that spongy texture? No, completely different texture. It has okay, the same texture it. as like a chicken strip and a stir okay. fry would have. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't like the texture of tofu, that means you haven't had it cooked properly because it Probably. can taste so different. So if you're thinking like tofu, like in, in miso soup, that kind of yeah. soft. So, so there are many, many ways, you know, obviously that maybe aren't so healthy. You can deep fry it and it tastes amazing. Mm-hmm. But there are ways to cook it in the oven, batter yeah. it. You can make 
make it taste like just about anything. So I would say it's about how you prepare and cook it. But I get it. I mean, the slime in it, I don't, I'm a vegan and I don't like mushrooms and that's a sin, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah, so, that's a you sin. know, I don't like, I don't like that texture and that's the same reason. So there's always going to mm-hmm. be things that you don't like and you can work around, but there's so many ways even if you're sick of eating a chickpea by itself, does that mean you're sick of hummus? Does that mean you're sick of falafel? Yeah, there's lots mm-hmm. of different ways that you can, you know, use the humble chickpea <laughs> and make some really, <laughs> you know, delicious things. You know, lentils and walnuts can be combined to make like a taco meat. You know, there's mm-hmm. a, there's lots of ways to combine things and because it's becoming more normalized there you just need to get your hands on some really good fun cookbooks Mm -hmm. yes it does take a little more effort than you know microwaving something of course it does Mm -hmm. Um, but even if you're an omnivore you shouldn't be microwaving every single thing you eat either right you should be taking some time to cook whole foods whether you're a hundred percent plant-based or 80 percent plant-based that's you know that that's not super important it's whether you're getting a variety of whole foods in your diet is more important. I have to say there is, so Molly's getting knee replacement on February 21st and oh. there's a, a meal train. Oh, am I going to get soy quirrels? So now I'm going to get soy quirrels. <laughs> you might as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or Claire, you talking about um, kind of a different taco filling. I make a really good, uh, I cook quinoa and then bake it and mix it with some, well, mix it with some ingredients, including nutritional yeast and mm-hmm. a little bit of salsa and some, I don't know, a couple spices. And then you bake that. And oh my gosh, it is so good. And yeah. it really, it looks a lot like taco filling too. Yes, so absolutely. And and quinoa is a seed. And so it has a high amount of protein too. Nutritional yeast, you know, mm-hmm. is this cheesy tasting powder that has a mm-hmm. crazy amount of protein per mm-hmm. tablespoon. So because I always wondered if nutritional yeast had any nutrition to it. It's so darn good. <laughs> it does. That's, that's it does. It's a good source of protein. And if you get the fortified kind, it's a good uh, source of B12, which is important for There's everybody. A one? Yes. Yeah, wow. yes. There's a regular nutritional yeast well, and a more nutritional just, nutritional yeast. Mm-hmm. Extra there's more nutritional yeast. Yes. Oh, more cool. nutrition. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And well, then you get the B12. Oh, and mm-hmm. what do you do for iron? So you can get plenty of iron from plants, um, but as runners and uh, people who menstruate women uh, generally have to kind of look out for that and make sure that you are getting enough iron in your diet. So I would say, first of all, don't just supplement with iron just because you're a vegan woman runner. (laughs) I would say you need Mm -hmm. to get a blood test first and make sure you're actually iron deficient. Mm -hmm. Some good sources are blackstrap molasses if you're deficient. You know, it's tons of iron. But what I like to do actually is use fortified foods. So, you know, my plant milk has calcium, iron, B12. Orange juice sometimes is fortified. If you like breakfast cereal, that's mm. going to be fortified. So, you know, that's how mm. my kids do it. <laughs> they oh, wow. they love cereal idea. and milk. And so they get a ton of all that stuff from fortified foods. Which milk has iron in it? Oh, they add it to a lot of plant milks. So you, you probably do the soy milk, don't you, love? <laughs> I I don't do soy milk actually what do you do? because I get plenty of soy in my diet. Yeah. You know, I like soy. I didn't like tofu at first either. I it grew uh-huh. on me. <laughs> I Tastes actually like licking cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I like flax milk, which is kind of hard to find. Uh I like it because it has the extra omegas in it. And, you know, we have a lot. So my kids drink almond milk. I don't drink almond milk anymore because actually I had a kidney stone. And so I stay away from almonds. Mm-hmm. But we also have oat milk in the house. Like we have a whole milk bar. You have a whole refrigerator <laughs> right. just for milk. Yes, yes, yes we do. The coconut milk because that that one I do like. That's probably no good for you, huh? Is the coconut well, milk okay? Coconuts are one of the few plants that are high in saturated fats. Uh-huh. So you know it's not bad to use coconut milk, but it's something you do want to use kind of sparingly. You know, I wouldn't drink it on its own necessarily because. I would make it into a stir fry or a curry or something like that. Sure, sure. Or if I want a treat, I'd have like a coconut milk ice cream or something like that. So I would use coconut milk personally as a treat, not like a daily drink. I guess I'm thinking like they've got the drinks too. You know, they've got it, the, the, yeah. like the water or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, if it's watered down enough so that the, you know, nutritional profile isn't isn't nearly as high, then sure, if that's what you like, fine. Yeah. So how do you deal with tummy troubles with the high fiber foods? You know, you get a lot of beans and then the more you eat, the more you toot. <laughs> right. Well, I'm not eating a, a bean burrito before I go on a run. You know, that's for sure. So, okay. you know, I think most people eat kind of plant-based before they go on a run, whether they are or not, you know. Mm-hmm. So my go-to is usually whole wheat toast and peanut butter, maybe a banana, mm-hmm. sometimes a bagel. So very normal foods that most runners eat anyway. So I'm not having high fiber foods before a run. So I don't have any issues. The other thing is I've been doing this for 10 years. So mm-hmm. that is what my gut is completely used to. If you yeah, all, point. If you all of the sudden go from eating, you know, Burger King every day to like 100% whole foods with tons of fiber, you're not going to feel that good because your gut (laughs) is not used to that much fiber. It doesn't know what to do with it. So you introduce a lot of these high fiber foods slowly and get your gut bacteria used to processing them and then it won't be a problem. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So on our Facebook page, someone asked a question that that I don't think is facetious. Uh, she wants to know, how do you get enough carbs? Because I know that I don't have that problem. So I don't have that problem. I've never had that problem. <laughs> so, I mean, but if she's if she is being serious about that, how do you get enough carbs? You know, some people just don't eat enough in general. And mm-hmm. if you're running 20 miles for your long run or whatever, and you're trying to eat nothing but vegetables, that's going to be a lot of food to get all the calories Mm -hmm. that you need. So if you are having a problem getting in enough calories in general, and it happens to be carbs that you need more of, then I would say look for more calorie dense things. Look for you can have processed carbs. It is okay before you go on a run. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, carbohydrate is treated differently in your body before a run versus sitting on the couch. Like Mm -hmm. I would never recommend that somebody, you know, suck on a bunch of goos while watching Netflix. Like that's ridiculous, (laughs) right? But on a run, that's exactly what you should be doing, right? On Mm -hmm. a long run. So so I think the first thing is making sure that you get enough 
calories in as a runner. And if you really need, if you can't stomach them, liquid calories are going to be your friend. Your brain doesn't recognize the calories in liquid as much as it does solid foods. And so this is why people can drink a bunch of Coca-Cola and then still eat just as much as they would normally because your body doesn't register those liquid calories. You know, we were evolved drinking water only. So that's the only thing that your brain is expecting. So if you need more calories, and you just can't chew another thing, try smoothies, try try liquid calories, and that'll help. Mm-hmm. Good. So you already mentioned that you're a whole wheat and you said a nut butter fan before a run. Is that right? Is that what you said? Yeah. Toast. Usually toast and peanut butter is, is mm-hmm. my thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are some other options for folks before and after a run? And, and this question comes from a plant-based runner training for her first half marathon. Well, like I said, you want to have something that is high in carbohydrate before a run and is easily digestible. So, you know, you wouldn't necessarily want high fiber fruit like because like an apple. Most people don't eat an apple before the run because it it has a lot of fiber and it just is harder to digest. You want something that digests quickly, which is a banana. So that's like uh, high glycemic fruit. So a lot of people are worried about the high GI or glycemic index food. But that's exactly what you should have before a run. And a lot of registered dietitians who are runners, they are recommending like Pop-Tarts and graham crackers and all these fun things that you can eat before a run because, again, your body wants to fuel those muscles on the run. It is not going to do all the nasty things that it would do with a bunch of sugar while you're sitting on the couch. So mm-hmm. very simple thing. So a leftover rice with soy sauce is great. Some people can handle oatmeal in the morning before a run. Other people can't. But So try that. Even saltines or Cheerios uh, before a run, just things that are mostly carbohydrate and really quick to digest. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are your thoughts about oil? A woman who asked this question said she started out with whole food, plant-based, no oil lifestyle. Now she tries to limit oil, but doesn't completely avoid it. She says it's mostly a matter of convenience, but she often wonders how detrimental oil is to her overall fitness and running performance. That is a great question because there is a huge whole foods, plant-based, no oil community Hmm. out there. And it kind of... Yeah. I wonder yeah. where that question came from. I'm like, wait, where, what? Huh? It's a whole thing. And, you know, it comes from, you know, the people who did Forks Over Knives. And, you know, it is permeated into the culture originally from them. So, is oil bad or good? I hate calling things bad or good. You know, I actually am similar. I try to avoid oil, but I don't completely eliminate it. So if I'm sauteing onions, for example, I will saute them in water instead of oil. So the problem that people have with oils are that they're very calorie dense. So one tablespoon of oil is like 120 calories. And, you know, think of how much I don't know, popcorn you could eat for 120 calories, a whole lot more volume, right? So they're highly concentrated fat sources and they have zero nutrients other than fat. So all you're getting is straight fat and none of the other good things. You're getting no fiber, nothing else. And so if you were going to get, if you were looking for better sources of fat, it's much better to eat something that's something that is actually a food and not a highly processed thing like oil. Oil is one of the most highly processed things on the planet. So 
you know, instead of olive oil, you should be eating the olive. Instead of avocado oil, you should be eating the avocado, you know, that kind of thing. Is oil in itself a little bit of oil bad and will it hurt your running? I wouldn't recommend taking oil to fuel your runs. Um, that's probably not going to go well. But a little bit of oil, as long as you are fitting, you know, whatever your calorie needs for the day, as well as getting your other macro and micronutrients from real food sources, a little bit of oil is not a big deal. It will, it, I can't imagine how it would affect your running negatively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does oil mean all fats in general? No, not at all. So the reason people don't like oil is because, like I said, like imagine olive oil. Olive uh-huh. oil is simply the fat taken away from the olive. You're uh-huh. not getting the olive itself. You're not getting everything. You're not getting the fiber. You're not getting any other nutrients. You're uh-huh. not getting. So that's okay. people's problem with oil uh-huh. is just because it's a concentrated form of fat and nothing else. So the nut butter has oil, but you're getting it with the nut. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you for clarifying that. (laughs) Yeah. So do you have any tips for keeping produce fresh longer? I always have a problem with zucchini. (laughs) Very slimy. Yeah. So if you're looking for like lettuce and things like that, lettuce Mm -hmm. and greens, those are going to be harder to keep longer because they do spoil quickly. So my best advice is don't buy too much and use it, you know, as soon as you can. I rely a lot on frozen vegetables. I -hmm. think they're just as healthy. They're, they're actually could be even healthier than your fresh because they're frozen at peak. They're not just sitting around the store and then sitting around your fridge. So mm-hmm. I really rely on frozen foods a lot. And then mm-hmm. I try to only buy what I need of the fresh stuff. When it comes to things like lettuce, though, we try to grow it outside or in a pot mm-hmm. or something like that. Lettuce mm-hmm. is a weed, essentially. So it's really easy to grow. <laughs> and if you have some space to do that, I would you know, highly encourage it. It's super easy to grow. And it's so nice to just go outside and just clip a little lettuce here yeah. and there for your sandwich or for a salad or something like that. But yeah, and and then there are some like refrigerator containers that actually mm-hmm. do work to keep your produce a little bit fresher, a little bit longer. So the key is to keep like, let's say it's lettuce again. The key is to keep the lettuce dry. So you can wash it first and then make sure you spin it or dry it. And then when you put it into the container in the fridge, it can't just sit at the bottom of the container. It needs to have like an air space. So there Mm -hmm. are specific produce containers that are basically, they look like colanders on the inside and then they have Mm -hmm. an outer, you know, container. Mm -hmm. And those Mm -hmm. actually really work. They'll keep Mm -hmm. your produce two, three, four days longer than without them. Oh, interesting. Yeah, on our on our Facebook page, someone recommended that with some things that she got Target by Rubbermaid. Yeah. So I was like, huh, who knew? So now for two questions about feeding the family. Mm. What advice do you have for how to make plant-based meals with carnivore add-on options? Because the mom who asked this is vegetarian while her spouse and kids like their meat. So there's a couple ways to go with this. I personally think that it should be chef's choice. If you're going Mm -hmm. to the trouble of cooking, you should be able to make what you want. And if other people want to add on, they can join you in the kitchen and add on. I um, don't believe that moms especially should be short order cooks making Mm -hmm. something different for every single person. I don't think that that's fair on mom. 
And I don't think that that teaches everybody else, you know, some good lessons there. So I say if you are cooking, you get to pick. But Mm -hmm. if if somebody wants to add meat to, you know, a dish that you made, fine. That person, if it's let's say it's the husband, could cook a bunch of meat earlier in the week and just add it in later. So, you know, maybe he wants you're making those lentil tacos and he's Mm -hmm. got some hamburger meat, you know, for his tacos. So Mm -hmm. there's lots of ways to do it. But my now ex-husband, he was not vegan. And so what he would do is I, whenever I was cooking, he would either eat what I was cooking or he would add something on to, to make meat, you know, add some meat to it. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. There is ways to compromise. But also, you if you're doing the work, <laughs> mm-hmm. you should be able to cook what you want and mm-hmm. people can add if they want to. So yeah. and then and then if your husband is cooking and he cooks something, let's say it's, I don't know, steak and potatoes, then maybe it's your turn to add some tofu that you cook later or whatever it is mm-hmm. or soy curls, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I mean, I personally think the chef's the boss. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. I do that. And my husband oftentimes will just he's game enough to eat vegetarian, but every so often he'll feel like a steak and I'm like, okay, well, you know, there's the grill right outside. And so he'll just go out there and, you know, then the dog just stares at him the whole time he's eating. So yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah I think that's really fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what advice do you have for growing teens who are vegan? And are there any supplements teens should be taking? And then what do you think about B vitamin supplements? So I have a house of teenagers. I have uh, 12, 13, and 15. So I I hear (laughs) you. And two are vegan and one is not. So, you know, the first thing with, you know, with anything you do as a mom is to be a good example yourself. So, you know, you should eat the way you want your kids to eat. You know, we never forced any of them to be anything, but we just offer healthy choices. So if they are choosing to feed themselves, we teach them how to do it. We have everything available for them to do it themselves. You know, I don't pack lunches for anybody. They have, they're all capable of doing that themselves. (laughs) So as long as you educate yourself on what a healthy diet is, whether you're plant-based or something else, educate yourself into what you need to to get in everything you need every day. Teach your kids how to do that and then let them do it themselves. And as far as supplements go, again, Fortified foods are your friend. So look for the nutrition labels on plant-based milks and orange juice and cereals if your family eats those things because you can get a lot of what you need just from that. What we do in our families is we do have supplements for the kids. They're just plant-based gummy supplements. Yes, they have a little mm-hmm. sugar on them to make them taste good, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. they take those happily once mm-hmm. a day and it's perfectly fine. As far as B12 goes, again, all the things I just mentioned will have mm-hmm. B12 in it. So yes, you absolutely do need to supplement with B12 as a plant-based eater, as a vegetarian, and actually most omnivores are low in B12 as well. So 
Mm -hmm. uh, B12 is not from meat. It actually is from the soil, a bacteria in the soil that gets absorbed by the plants. And then the cows eat the plants and then it's concentrated in meat. So meat is a good source of B12. But the problem is the way, you know, industrialized farming has, has uh, kind of destroyed the soil health. Even meat has lower B12 than it used mm -hmm. to. So the good thing about B12, it's one of those supplements that is incredibly cheap, safe, effective, and really hard to overdose because mm. you'll just pee it out. Your body, it's one of the things that <laughs> your body will take what it needs and then get rid of the rest. It's okay. not like iron. You absolutely can overdose on iron, especially if you have a certain, you know, propensity for iron to be toxic for you. But B12 is not like that. B12 is something that is like, oh, did I take it today? Did I not? Oh, might as well take it. <laughs> and then, you know, it's it's just going to get peed out and it's super cheap. So, yes, mm. almost everybody should probably be supplementing. Okay, good. I've made a note yeah. along with all the quotes that I have from you, uh, B12 supplement. So you sold yeah. me. Yeah. Good. Good. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Claire, thanks for joining us. And I look forward to talking to you for your podcast in a couple minutes. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right. Well, another mother runner will be on the move. We have two retreats this year. One is in Redmond, Oregon. That's June 9th through 12th, which is close to selling out. And we need to have people book their hotel rooms. So if you're on the fence, don't delay. Head on over to anothermotherrunner.com. Click on events. You're going to see a drop down menu. There's Redmond. Register now. And then we're headed back to Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, November 3rd through 6th. So head on over to anothermotherrunner.com to check that out. And also remember that we do have a firm, which is a payment plan. So you don't have to put it all in one big chunk on your credit card right now. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medore from Fire on the Bluff. When you go to Denver, Malls. So I'm going to go to um, the Molly Brown Museum tomorrow while it's lunch. What's the Molly Brown Museum? The unsinkable Molly Brown. Oh. You've, so she, I've heard of her. She was So I don't know that much about her. She was a philanthropist, and she was a survivor of the Titanic. Oh. Mm -hmm. And she, I think, created a charity around So it's Kate Winslet. Well. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's a historic house, and you mm -hmm. know, it's all, all my kind of thing. Um, I'm probably going to go to the U.S. Mint, too, while I'm down there. <laughs> <laughs> who, has, who has the opportunity to do that? So, um, right that. Molly's going to Denver today. So I was like, yeah. oh, what are you going to do? <laughs> so, the Mint. So you guys see money being made. I've actually been to a Mint, I think, in Philadelphia. Oh, but it's kind of interesting. It, oh, of course it is. Yeah, you get to see a bunch of money being oh, made. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I might do that. I yeah, know. okay, the guest is here. <laughs>